Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. That um, this morning. Go ahead and take your Bibles. Uh, Acts chapter 22. I'll start reading in verse 23. Uh, we're going to roughly go to uh, chapter 23, verse 22, and pick up kind of the whole of this narrative here. So, uh, the end of chapter 22 in Acts and the beginning of chapter 23 uh, is where we are this morning. I read part of that to you, um, this historical narrative as, as Paul is being tried, as he's going before these uh, various tribunes, these various councils. Um, he finds himself now before uh, the Jewish council and the Romans are now becoming uh, involved in this in this process. And so um, so Paul has been arrested in, in Jerusalem. And so that's where uh, we find him this morning. And, and you do understand, don't you? I forget some of this sometimes that when we read these historical narratives in, in the Bible, um, they're living in real time. You understand this, right? I think sometimes we gloss over that. We know it, but we, we don't fully appreciate the fact that, that you understand at this point, Paul doesn't know how all of this is turning out, right? He doesn't have Acts 23 and Acts 24 to tell him what's about to happen. He doesn't have the rest of the story to know that as we see at the end of this, how all of this turns out is that they have a plot to kill Paul. And these Jewish folks have taken this vow that they will not eat or drink until they find Paul and kill Paul. And one of his nephews finds out, so he finds him in jail and tells him about it. So they sneak Paul away overnight. So Paul doesn't die here, but in the moment, Paul doesn't know that, right? Right? He, he doesn't have the rest of the story. I think it goes, you know, something like this. Lately, uh, on the way to school, every once in a while, as I bring my kids to school in the morning, we'll, we'll listen to some sort of book. Sometimes we've, we've listened to Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Right now, we just started listening to the second, the, the, the next book in that series called Prince Caspian. It's the book that follows the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, which tells of the Chronicles of Narnia written by C.S. Lewis. And in the opening chapters of Prince Caspian, Lucy, Edmund, Susan, and Peter are exploring this island because uh, they were at the train station and they're transported back to, they don't know it yet, but, but to, to Narnia. And, and, and as they, only a year has passed since they've been to Narnia, but when they arrive in this land, hundreds and hundreds of years have passed. And, and so they start exploring this land and they're trying to figure out where they are. They, they see these apple orchards. They see, um, they see these ruins of this castle that they, they stumble upon. And, and they're asking these questions, trying to figure out where they were. And when we were on the, on the way to school on Friday, one of my kids chimes in as they're trying to figure out where they are. They said, you are at Care Paravel. You are at the, at Narnia. You are at the castles, you bunch of dodos. <laughs> they really said that. You see, they didn't, my kids knew the rest of the story because they've read that book before. But in that moment, Lucy and Edmund and Susan and Peter, they don't know where they are yet. They're still trying to figure that out and what's the resolve going to be and where they are. Their, their perspective was still limited and they're not able to see the resolution. But once have read the book, they know how all of this is resolved. And so they have this confidence that don't you know where you are? I think sometimes we feel like that, don't we? As Christians, sometimes even reading the Bible, we say, Paul, don't you know how the, this sends out? Just chill out. It's all going to work out good. 
We think of this as of our own life as well, don't we? We find ourselves caught in these moments, in the drama, in the heartache, in the intensity of the moments, and we're overwhelmed with it. We forget about this in our own lives. We forget that we're living in these moments. We don't yet know the outcome. And, and sometimes we forget that God is working all things together for them who are called according to his purpose. And, and at least if we don't forget that, it's terribly difficult to see because we don't know the resolution of how exactly that's going to work out in our lives. Have you been there, there before? I mean, Paul's living in that moment. It's not unlike us that, that they're throwing their cloaks off, right? We're going to kill you. We're going to flog you, and we are going to take you out. That's real pain. That's real heartache. That's real uncertainty of how all of this will resolve. And so here's the big idea that I want us to see this morning. In this biblical historical narrative, we get a wonderful example of incredible truths of how to navigate life when your story is still unfolding. Not when your story is unwritten because he has ordained the, begin- the end from the beginning. He-, he-, he knows what he is going to bring you through. Even trials and difficulties all will prepare you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. But that's hard to do when we're living in the moment. When you're overwhelmed with the uncertainty. Would you agree with that? When you don't see how all of this is. That- that's how Paul is-, is living. Part of us want to say, don't you see you, you dodo how all of this works out. Sometimes we feel that about ourselves, but it's still painful. It's still difficult as we walk through this moment. And so as we unpack that big idea of, of watching our story unfold and how to live in that, the first thing I want you to see this morning is, is life under pressure. Life under pressure. The present moment is chaos for Paul. I told you a minute ago that they're throwing their cloaks off. They are ready to take him out. Will he get out of Jerusalem alive? He doesn't know at this point. He doesn't have chapter 23 and chapter 24. Will he get out of this present moment of chaos? But as he lives in that, I want you to see it in this first point of living in chaos. At least four things that we see as the example of the Apostle Paul. The first thing that I want you to see is that Paul kept a clear head. So when you're living in chaos, when you're living in uncertainty, as, as your life's unfolding and it, it's not all easy, Paul kept a clear head. Look at verse 25. But when they had stretched him out for, for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And so Paul has a clear head at this moment. He, he has quick thinking at this moment that he realizes that I am a Roman citizen and what they are doing, they cannot do and should not do because of my citizenship. And, and this is a truth that Paul uh, has preached before. He preached this in, in Acts chapter 17, that God has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Listen to this having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So here's what I mean by Paul has a clear head at this moment. He realizes, okay, I am a Roman citizen, and, and there are implications for that. Like, like, like where God has allotted for me to live, where God has ordained for me to be in this present place, has an implication for how they must treat me. And, and, and so here's what I, so Paul, as he's going through this chaos, there's an example that we can follow is keep a clear head that, that, that God 
caused you to be born in this place, in this time, this physical place, and this actual time in history is not an accident. And he, he's done that for a reason. And God's placement somehow has prepared you for this, this moment. And so Paul has a clear head that perhaps God has caused you to be in this place for this moment for a particular reason. Paul has a clear head in this moment. And Paul speaks up. He, so that's the second thing. Paul has a clear head. He begins to say, okay, God still has me here even with the whips, even though I'm stretched out at this point. There's a reason I'm here. And in fact, early in life, I'm a Roman citizen, and that has good implications for me. Good. A clear head. But Paul speaks up. Not only is he a clear head, but Paul actually speaks up. And so they ask him, is this true? Tell me you're a Roman citizen. And he speaks up and says, yes. And the tribune answered, I bought, I bought this citizenship for a large sum of money. But Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. Not, not only did Paul think clearly and realize that he is in this place and he's in this time for a particular reason, but Paul then speaks up. And Jesus said it something like this, because sometimes these chaotic moments can discombobulate us, can't they? Where we're not thinking straight, we're not speaking straight, but we see this great example here that Paul speaks up. Jesus said it something like this, as, as you go out on mission, be, do you remember this? Be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. To know when to go low, know when to lay your life down, but also know when to speak up and do things that are very bold. You must know the difference. And John Calvin, when he was commenting on Jesus saying, being wise as serpent and innocent as doves, he says this, the reason is drawn from the necessity of the case. For if they did not wisely exercise caution, meaning the disciples and even us today, if we don't wisely exercise caution, they might be immediately devoured by the wolves. And on the other hand, if they tremble at the rage of the wolves and were incautious, they would presently waver and would at length fail to perform their duty. So we must be wise as serpents and innocent as dove. We must be know when to speak up. We must know when the times there are to kind of protect ourselves so they don't kill us right away so that we can still give a witness to the hope that is in us. So Paul, he speaks up. He was clear-headed. Paul spoke up. But notice something else that, I, that we notice about Paul. Paul has a clear conscience. He realizes you, you can't do this because I'm a Roman citizen. I can appeal to a, higher, to a different court. And so they're asking the real reason on the next day. That's verse 30 of chapter 22. Why you're being accused by the Jew. And they unbound him and he went before the council and they sat Paul down before him. Look at verse, chapter 23, verse 1. So he's clear-headed. He speaks up boldly. He looked intensely at the council and Paul said, Brothers... I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. I want you to notice something about this. This is a truth that we, we need to understand. Not only was he clear-headed, not only did he speak up, but they were accusing him for breaking the, the, the Jewish law. And Paul says, to this day, I have lived... According to that law, I, I, I am not guilty of this. I, I think there's an example here. Here's what it challenged me with, at least. To always be found, 
to, live, to living in the chaos. Sometimes we live in chaos, we become discombobulated, and we might start living in ways that we should not live, even sinful ways. But Paul had a clear conscience at this moment. Not a seared conscience, but a clear conscience. That he lived in such a way that the accusations would not stick. He lived today like tomorrow mattered. He lived in such a way today that if anyone accused him of living contrary to the law of God, those accusations would not stick. I wonder if there's something for us today to say, I wonder why people are accusing me of this and these accusations are sticking. Maybe it's because the way you lived your life in a past made it seem like that they might do something like that. And so don't sear your conscience in such a way that you live in a way where accusations will stick when the going gets tough. Even when the going gets tough, live a life that is honoring to God no matter the cost because how you live today will matter tomorrow. Do you see that? So Paul was clear-headed. He spoke up and he had a clear conscience and Paul was extremely bold. Do you notice what he did that the high priest, once he said that, struck him on the mouth and God, and he said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You're sitting to judge me according to the law, yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. And those standing by basically said, Paul, what are you doing? This is the high priest. And Paul said, I didn't know it was the high priest. And he says, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler. Now, Paul was bold here. And then there's some discussion among commentators whether this was a sinful boldness. Because that's a fine line, isn't there? Between sinful boldness and holy boldness. Whether Paul in a, in a moment was, in a holy way, was being bold and say, you are not acting like a high priest and I am calling you out before God. Was he doing that? Or Paul, for some reason, didn't actually realize this was the high priest and disrespected the high priest in a way he shouldn't have disrespected the high priest. And now he is guilty of this sin. So he says, yes, you're right. You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. We know Paul was bold. And there's some discussion here. Was, was he being sinfully bold or wholly bold? This line is often difficult to see. But either way, Paul was being Bold. I'm not sure it was inappropriate for him to respond that way, but he did. Even if it was inappropriate, Paul confesses that, yes, I should not have done that. Even if it was a holy boldness, Paul says, this is why I did that. That takes some wisdom to figure that out. So we see an example of Paul of living in that chaos, don't we? He has a clear head. He speaks up. He has a clear conscience because of the way that he has been living not that he's perfect, but he's lived his life in a way that honors God. We see that Paul is bold in this chaos. And I want you to see the connection to this next point. So that's living life in the chaos. In all of this, the reason that Paul was able to live like this in the chaos and the uncertainty of the moment, he goes on to say. Look at verse 6. Of chapter 23. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and other Pharisees, he cried out to the council. So he gets to the heart of the matter. Here's the heart of the matter. Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. Here it is. And as with respect 
to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Do you see in all of this, the reason Paul was able to live like this is because Paul had a hope like no other. And Paul has the same hope that you and I have. And so this is not saying, here's an example of of Paul. This is saying that we all have this hope. We all have the hope of the resurrection of the dead, that our God has been raised from the dead, that Jesus Christ, dead, crucified, buried, raised and ascended, that Paul has the same hope that we have. And so the reason Paul is able to live like this is not because Paul is such a swell individual, It's not because Paul has chapter 23 and 24 to know how this all ends. Paul lives life in chaos well because life, because Paul, second point, second big point, Paul lives under the promise. Paul lives under the promise that his future is secure. He has the hope of the resurrection and this was the dividing line between it all. This is what the struggle was, the hope of the resurrection of the dead. If Christ is raised, then you have to do something with that. And if he is raised, then everything his promised is true. And Paul is saying, I have met the resurrected Christ, and that has changed everything. Have you met the resurrected Christ? This stirred up the religious folks, and, and so some think that Paul is playing this, uh, this slick chess move, Right? That he knows the Sadducees and Pharisees are divided over the issue of the resurrection of the dead. So he brings that up and you see as the verses go on that, that these folks are now divided. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they start arguing with one another and now they're divided and then they decide, yes, we are mad at Paul, so we are going after him. But he, he takes the attention off himself for a moment. Maybe it was a slick chess move to divide that council up on that day. But it was more than that. This was the truth that changed his life forever when Paul met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. It's the basis of everything we do, basis of everything that we are, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. That by dying, he destroyed death. That by rising, he restored our life. And by his cross and resurrection, we are set free. So no matter what light momentary afflictions may be around us, no matter what chaos may be around us, we can be clear-headed, we can be bold, we can live with a clear conscience because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Here are some of the implications for it. Follow along with me here. We have a resurrected Christ. Let's think of some of these truths. We have a Savior who can never die again. Romans 6, 9, Paul would go on to write, For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. That Paul serves a resurrected Christ that always will be. That there will never be a time where he will be without his resurrected Christ. Because of the resurrected Christ, we have repentance of sin. The God and fathers of our fathers who raised Jesus, the Bible says who was killed on a tree, God exalted him at the right hand to give repentance to Israel. There is repentance for sin. So that even going back to if Paul, if he was in an unholy way bold and lived a life in the past, even in the past where he killed Christians, there was still hope for Paul because he served a resurrected Christ. There is repentance for even people like Paul because he serves a resurrected Christ. There's new birth. 1 Peter chapter 1, 
by his great mercy, we have been born again to a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of a resurrected Christ, not only is there repentance and new birth, there's forgiveness of sin. If Christ has not been raised, your hope is futile and you are still in your sins. But as it is, the resurrection across the pages of history is said that our sin has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. He's been raised for our justification Even when you don't live as you should, you have a Savior who lives to plea and make intercession for you. That's good news. And if that news is what is driving you, imagine the clarity and the boldness and the clear conscience you can have to live no matter where this life is going. Because we even know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who is to condemn It is Christ Jesus who died, get this, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God. So therefore, we are no longer condemned. Here's a good good truth. Because he lives and is resurrected, not only can we face tomorrow, perhaps just as profound, because he lives, we can face our past. You can face your yesterday. Paul could face his yesterday and still say he lives with a clear conscience because his conscience has been cleared by a resurrected Christ. That's good news. And we know where all this is going. Because we serve a resurrected Christ, here's what Paul goes on to write. We know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. That even if they take him out in that moment, the story has a resolution. We'll be raised with Christ and he will bring us, the Bible says, into his presence. That the worst thing that can happen to Paul is not because he knows the end of his story here on earth, but he knows the resolution of everything. That the song of our life finds our resolution as we are brought into the presence of Christ. That even death itself can only bring us nearer to our Christ. We can face threats of life because of the resurrection. We can face accusations because of the resurrection. We can face sickness Because of the resurrection, we can face our own failings and sin because of the resurrection. Wasn't this the life of Job? Do you remember the life of Job? When he's at his lowest, do you remember what Job says in Job 19? He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. Paul knows his Redeemer lives. He has met the resurrected Christ. I know my Redeemer lives. That no matter what whips, what false accusations, what flogging, no matter the chaos of your life, you know that your Redeemer lives. Do you remember that moment that you met him, that he met you? And at last, Job says, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him and not another. 
So even with boil-covered skin, even when he no longer has two nickels to rub together, he was certain of one thing, that his hope sprung eternal because his God ruled and reigned and was alive and resurrected forevermore. We used to sing the old hymn, didn't we? In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me. Remember that song, A Long Life's Narrow Way? He lives. He lives. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ, the King, the hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, he lives, he lives. He knows the resolution. Watch how Christ meets him. So, so get this. Paul's living under that promise. And if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You've already been raised spiritually in Christ. The resurrection has happened. And you live because he lives, you live, and you're never to die. Though you die, yet you will live. You live under that promise. We still live in this chaos, but the final thing that I want you to see, notice how God meets him again. I pray that God would meet you even in this one. Listen to what he says. So they bring him down to the barracks. Look at verse 11. It's really the last verse we'll look at. And the following night, so he still doesn't know how all this will end. The Lord stood by him. The presence of God. Not only is there a future promise to sustain us in this momentary chaos, God's presence is with us in it to bring us, as the good shepherd does, all the way home. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and he said to him, take courage. Take courage. He enters into our pain. He he enters into our trouble. He enters into the moment and says, Paul, take courage. Did you know that was that's one of the most common commands of the Bible? Do not be afraid. Take courage. All across the pages of Scripture. I'm reading Ezra right now. Through Ezra. Don't be afraid. Keep building the temple. It's as though the Lord knew in this world you will have trouble. You have reason to be afraid. And throughout all the pages of Scripture, the most common command we hear from our good shepherd is take courage. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I sting by you. I speak to you. The Lord still speaks to us through his word. You want God to speak to you. Open his word and let him speak to you through his word, which is living and active. And he speaks to us and say, I know where you are. I'm with you. I am for you. Take courage. For you will testify about me in Rome. He makes a promise to him. I'm going to bring you to Rome. Your story's not done yet. And so God in his providence 
works through all these secondary causes. He, he, he works through Paul being born as a Roman citizen. He, he works through these plots of the Jewish folks and he works through, as you see in the rest of that chapter, you can read it on your own later. I'm not going to uh, go through it right now through his, his nephew finding out about this plot and them stealing him away to take him on to Rome to the, to the next trial. God works through all of these secondary causes. But as he does, Paul knows one thing. I'm still alive, so God's not done with me. He's going to take me to Rome. I think that tells us something about ourselves. As God's working things all around you and all these secondary causes and wherever God might having you to face, if you're still living and breathing and have breath in your lungs, God is not done with you yet. He still has more for Paul to do. And you're here this morning. He still has more for you to do. So he says, take courage. I'm with you. What I promise, I'll do. Where I lead, I'll provide. And where I lead, I'll protect you. And where I lead, I will go with you. And so in the uncertainty of the daily, we rest on the future hope. And he, we know that he will bring us into glory. And he doesn't make a promise and leave us to ourselves. Our good shepherd, as he meets Paul and says, take courage, our good shepherd leads and guides and looks after. For the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. He'll make us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He will restore our soul. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. His rod and his staff, the resurrected Christ. Death can no longer touch him. Our sin is paid for. He is walking with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. So we will fear no evil. And his goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. I know it feels like trials and tribulations follow you all the days of your life. But you will look back. And maybe at some point we will say, you dodo. It was goodness and mercy that was following you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And for having walked through that pain, glory is that much better. Brothers and sisters, there is a resolution to all of this. Paul's resolution, and we'll see throughout the end of, of Acts, and our resolution is still unfolding before us, but we know that the ultimate resolution to all of this is that we will be with Christ forever. And we know that our resurrected Christ, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And on that day, God will make everything right. On the day when he returns, the same thing will happen to your hurts and sadness. You will find the worst things that ever happened to you will in the end only enhance your eternal delight. On that day, all of it will be turned inside out and you will know joy beyond the walls of the world. The joy of your glory will be that much more greater for every scar you bear. So live in light of the resurrection. And the coming hope of the renewal of all things. And the renewal of yourself into the glorious and never-ending joyful dance of his grace. So because of the resurrection, we don't collapse under the weight of our own suffering. We don't collapse under the weight of our own sin. But instead, as Paul writes, we say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death, the sin, and the power of sin is law. But, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, don't be afraid. 
Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray.